Welcome to the In All Things Podcast. I'm Sierra, and I'm glad that you're here for real, biblical, uplifting conversations on everything from God's grace and biblical covenants to hearing others' stories and their lives and faith. Let's imagine we're sitting down together for these conversations and walk together towards living out our theology and our everyday lives as we seek Christ in all things. Well, welcome everybody today to the In All Things Podcast. It has been a hot minute. I feel like I took the month of March off, but I had actually prepped February's episode. So it has been a couple months since I have sat down at this microphone to record a podcast. So it feels good. Summer has officially hit Minnesota today um, or yesterday, I guess. Spring, we just decided to skip and it is 80 degrees. So <laughs> we are we are enjoying that after a very long winter. Um, But welcome to part three of In the Context. I started this series last fall, and I didn't really intend for it to be a back-to-back type series, which obviously it's not. Um, I just, I wanted it to be a random episode here and there. Um, So here we are with part three. And in these episodes, I go through a verse or two that have been taken out of context and used incorrectly often. And in these episodes, we put it back into its proper context, and hopefully we understand why that is so important. In the past episodes, we have gone through um, verses from Proverbs 31, uh, Philippians 4.13, Jeremiah 29.11. And so we're just going to continue on with diving into why it's important to understand this context. Reading Bible verses within their correct context is one of the keys to understanding the Bible. When a pastor or a Bible teacher is teaching from the Bible, they are teaching from a place of authority and then insinuating a piece of truth that has come from the Bible. The problem comes when there isn't proper context to the scripture that they're using. And if they're using scripture out of context, it really doesn't correlate with their message and they're teaching a biblical truth that isn't really there. And honestly, it's not only pastors and Bible teachers who are doing this. It's you and I on our social media or in our small group or with our friends. It may be unintentional, right? But it can be misleading because the Bible explicitly warns us about staying away from false teachers. And the biggest way to avoid false teachers is to know your Bible, We have the ability to understand the truth in scripture that will help us discern the truth and avoid these false teachers. So before diving in, I want to remind you as we go through the next couple verses that I am not sharing these to shame those of us who have used these without understanding their meaning. I have misused some of them as well. It's just something that we can learn together and grow in our understanding the Bible. As I've started doing these particular episodes, I've become more aware of Bible verses that are more uh, cliche, I guess, for lack of a better word. For example, if somebody is going through a hard season, there are typically a few specific verses that may come to mind. If someone is struggling with sin, same thing, few specific verses. And I want to clarify, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But now what I'm doing before I send a friend that Bible verse I look up the full context to make sure that it actually applies to their situations. Sometimes it does and we're good to go. And then there are times when I learn something new, like actually that's not what that verse means. 
So I would encourage you to try this if a Bible verse comes to your mind. My goal here is not to make you doubt what the Bible is saying. Actually, it's the exact opposite. I want us to dig deeper into what the Bible actually says instead of trusting what may have been made popular by our culture. So the verses that I want to talk about today are found in Matthew 18, 19 through 20. It says, again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. I was actually visiting a church recently where this was taken out of context and it got me thinking more about it. There are two ways that this verse is commonly used, and neither of them are correct. The first is that it may be about kind of um, gaining favor with God, um, approaching the Lord in prayer with two or three others, and assuming that they have a better chance of God answering their prayers because they're praying the same thing. Honestly, this can be a pretty dangerous theology to hold. If that was true it would mean that God is less likely to answer our prayers if we're alone. And that is simply not biblical. God loves each of us, and he listens to the prayers of each of us. It's just not true that he gives more favor to answering the prayers of a group of believers rather than just one believer. And I'm sure you can tell that they get this assumption from verse 19 when it says, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. So if you're just reading that verse, we can see how that person might get to that conclusion, right? But that shows us how this can be an issue. Because when we take a Bible verse out of context, we can basically twist it to mean whatever we want. We'll get to the whole context in just a minute, but first I want to explain the second way that this is commonly misused. This way is coming mainly from verse 20 when it says, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Have you ever heard a pastor use this verse? It's most often used to give assurance that even though there's a small group of people gathered, maybe at a worship service or in a church meeting of some sort, etc., God is still with them. But again, dangerous theology, because is God only present in a group of two or three or more? His presence isn't existent when you're alone in your car or praying in your bedroom? Of course, that is not true. We know that God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere, not only where there are two or more people. And as we also know, as I've talked about before as well, when we become a believer, The Holy Spirit is given to live in us. So certainly, we have the presence of God when we are alone. So both of those misinterpretations, they can be used manipulatively or in extreme cases, abusively. And just on the basic sense, they're just not good theology, right? So our goal today is to find out what the correct context is and what the counterparts are to the misuses. We're going to start in Matthew 18 and jump a few verses ahead of those two that I already read. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. And before I start, it's important to note that Jesus is talking here. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. 
And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. All right, so the first clue in this passage that I just read is that Jesus is not talking about a gathering of people to pray or to worship. He's not talking about a gathering of people in any way. The subject matter here is confronting sin in another believer's life and the process of going about that. If you'll imagine with me for a second, looking at the book of Proverbs and reading some of those verses, sometimes it seems as though the topics kind of jump around from verse to verse and it constantly changes, right? Because they're different Proverbs. Um, However, in the gospel, we will often see these section titles in our Bibles. And of course, we know that they were not included in the original manuscripts, but it will often indicate to us when a new topic is starting. And verses 15 through 20, they're all under one section. So they're kind of all one conversation. Jesus didn't tell us how to confront sin in our fellow believer's life, which is a pretty heavy topic, and then move on to in the next sentence, where two or more of you are gathered, I am with you. In this passage in Matthew, it is all one topic of conversation. So let's look more into what Jesus is actually talking about here. Verses 15 through 17, where he's outlining how to do the confronting and the calling out. That is pretty clear and straightforward. I did an episode on accountability, and I talked about this passage at that point as well. Back in September of 2021, it was episode 34. If you wanted to go back and listen to that, I'll put a link in the in the show notes for this one. But when this passage starts to get misunderstood is beginning in verse 18. And it says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I know that this verse isn't the one we're focusing on here, but I did find it interesting and it is a part of the context. So that verse was actually used earlier in Matthew as well when Jesus was talking to Peter and the rest of the disciples. He was giving them authority to bind on earth and to loose on earth. But what does that mean? It's confusing lingo for today, but they were actually commonly known legal terms in Jesus' day. To bind meant to forbid, and to loose meant to allow. So Jesus wasn't telling the disciples that their judgment overruled his, that they could pick and choose who was going to heaven. That's not what Jesus was saying. They couldn't just make up the rules as they went. Sometimes our Bible translations, because of how different translations are (laughs) translated, they, um, we don't get to fully grasp the sentence structure from Greek. And I know that sounds super like nerdy, but when we look at it structured accurately, it would read this way. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Therefore, we can understand that the disciples weren't given power to decide who's allowed or forbidden from heaven. 
Instead, they were given authority to discipline and, if necessary, excommunicate unfaithful church members and to be able to discern biblically when to do so and when that person was following the Lord and when they were not. If they were listening to the church and listening to other believers or they were not, right? And we have that authority as well. So it's pretty clear by this point that this passage is about order in the church. And we're going to conclude with these two verses that are so often misused. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth disagree, agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Again, this is still Jesus talking. And he's actually using some Levitical law and applying it to the new covenant we have under Christ. This old law is found in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, and it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection of any offense that he has committed. Only the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So this law was built to protect the allegedly guilty party in case the accuser was lying. And here in Matthew now, Jesus is telling us to approach the believer in sin alone. Maybe it's to give them a chance to change their ways and confess and repent without creating gossip or embarrassment unnecessarily. But after that, if they don't listen, you're to bring another believer to that person to confront them again, kind of as a backup. You have two people who are hopefully biblically grounded and approaching this person in love to help them grow. And if they still don't listen, then you're to bring them to the church. And it's at that point where if they don't listen, they are to be treated as an unbeliever, as a pagan or a tax collector, like Jesus said. So the statement that if two agree about anything, it's referring to matters or issues in the church. And if two or more believers, insinuating biblically sound believers, If two or more believers are agreeing on a sin issue from another believer, God will have already loosed or bound that person based on what their response ends up being. Those sound believers are not choosing whether that sinning believer is allowed or forbidden from heaven. They are discerning that based on the knowledge that they have from the word of God and knowing Christ. Looking at verse 20 when it says, two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them, right? The Greek word gathered here means come together, which could also mean united. One pastor explained verses 19 and 20 like this. The prayer of verse 19 is not for anything that we might plan or desire, but any judicial matter. The word pragma often indicates financial matters or legal decisions, and the two or three brought together in verse 20 is not talking about worship services. The omnipresence of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit assures Jesus' presence even when a Christian is alone. The word come together in Greek means united, not merely gathered. So what this text promises is that God will put his stamp of approval on judicial decisions among church members who come to a mutual agreement. It has nothing to do with God answering prayers of a small group or over an individual. It has nothing to do with more than two people gathering to worship God. This can be a complicated passage to interpret. Obviously, there is a lot of parts that add a little complexity. 
But this is why I think it's so important to understand the context. I used to think that in order to understand things like this, I had to be a Bible scholar or a Greek scholar or something, but that is just not true. While I was researching this um, for this episode, I used a few resources, and I just want to share this with you in case you are ever just wanting to research some different things. I've talked about this before, but gotquestions.org is a great resource to just search questions, and they explain things really well from a biblical perspective that it's easy to understand and they have tons of questions on there. Um, I also looked up a few different translations of the Bible to see what they said, if they said anything differently. Um, so I looked up NIV, ESV, KJV, and the AMP as well. And BibleHub.com is what I use for the Greek, and it is so helpful, and it's pretty easy to use. You basically type in the Bible verse that you're looking for, and then click the word lexicon, and that is going to pull up the Greek translation for each word or phrase. And you can click to learn more about its definition, where else in the Bible it's used, and so forth. Just play around with it, but it really is easy to use. And I have found it to be a great resource because um, I'm just not a Greek scholar, so I don't know these things. <laughs> I also just Google searched some things about the verses that I was researching. And I want to note that this is where you have to be extra, extra careful. I clicked on a link that had a title matching what I wanted to read about. And I began reading it, and it was saying that verse 18 meant that God had loosed happiness, wealth, health to us on earth and in heaven. And he has bound sickness and sadness because God wants us to be happy. It basically just proved why this is so critical. When I first read that passage today, did you even think that? Did you get any of it out of that, that God wants us to be happy? I honestly, I don't even know where this person could have extrapolated that from. But if someone is just reading that on the internet and browsing along and doesn't know the Bible or doesn't know how to properly get context, they could fall for that prosperity gospel. And it's certainly not the gospel that we want them to come to know. I found this passage really interesting today, and I hope you enjoyed following along. I hope these resources can help you do your own research as well. Um, I took the month off, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I took the month of March off after I moved and I went on a vacation and I had a church event that I was running all in the same week. So it was great to have a month off to just adjust as I needed to and begin helping my sister plan her wedding. After a lot of thought and prayer, um, I will be taking the summer off beginning right after this episode. I wanted to put out one last episode and announce it here because I do know that some of my listeners don't have social media, so they wouldn't know. But my plan is to be back as I was planning this episode after a couple months off. Like I said, I was just reminded about how much I enjoy doing this. But I do have some things this summer that I want to be able to give my full attention to. I'm running the women's ministry at my church and again, my sister's wedding and just spending time with her um, as she's moving out of the state when she gets married. Fun fact, she's actually getting married to Johnny, who was on my podcast last spring talking about politics. And you've heard my sister Frankie on multiple episodes as well. So that's just kind of fun. But stay tuned and I hope you guys have an incredible summer. My goal will be to be back in October. So make sure to swing back around then. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for joining in on today's conversation. I pray that you feel encouraged and uplifted in your walk with the Lord, and I hope to see you again. 
You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at inallthingspod or visit my website inallthingspodcast.com for more content. If you enjoyed the episode, I would love it if you invited your friends into our conversations. Please share with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform. This helps get the word out about In All Things so that it's easily accessible to more people. See you next time.